This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, woohoo! Literary briefs, drinking with authors, literary briefs episode. It's where we ask rapid fire questions, where I think I ask rapid fire. We all know that. Okay, anybody's listening knows that I don't do well in the rapid fire questions. Okay, so I am Erica Lance. With me as my co host today is Vanessa Valiente. And we have an amazing guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself, my friend? Um, I'm Elizabeth Seckman. <laughs> I like how you said that. That didn't have a lot of fanfare. You're like, no. um, I'm Elizabeth Seckman. I show up <laughs> to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about what we're drinking so people can drink along in the privacy of their own home or another's home. Don't drink and drive. Um, I'm drinking a Stella Rosa. I'm actually out of it. I have my last glass of the Stella Rosa because that's happening today. And it's a bubbly um, red wine, bubbly chilled red wine. Vanessa, what are you, what are you drinking? I am still drinking Stella. Old, reliable, it's delicious and great on a summer day. That sounded like an ad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can tell you've had a couple of them by the smile on your face as well. And what are you drinking? My, my friend who's on the podcast. I have, I have my, my barefoot Friscato with the gourmet screw tap. Don't screw tap and it's strawberry. And as you can tell, I'm a half a bottle in. So it's now a screw tap, not a cap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we feel you on that one completely okay so rapid fire questions you ready yes i'm ready okay what is your favorite book is i'm gonna get beat up for this but it's gone with the wind but i hear that's not popular to say anymore um no that's not popular (laughs) well i don't think people read it nobody's read it like scarlet is not a nice person if you read that book she is a bitch. She truly is. Mammy carries the book. Mammy is the woman. She is, she is, she is the boss. And people overlook that. So I should probably pick something else also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, I don't want to look hateful, but I just, I really do. I think if people would actually read the book, like you would be like, damn, Scarlet, we thought you were the he- She's a bad person. She doesn't even like her own children in the book. She doesn't like anybody. She's ruthless. The lady's ruthless. So, but anyhow, um, oh, I have so many favorites. Right now, anything by Ann Tyler, I'll just, I would love to read. I love, I love those books. I love, um, I also like um, Wuthering Heights. I like Thorn Bird. I like, um, Oh, you give me any book with a with a main character who is should be a good person but has their flaws. I'm I'm ready to read. So awesome. Okay, follow up question: What is your least favorite book? Ooh. Oh my! You know, I really didn't like 1984, but I read it because, um, you know, I felt like I should, and it took me forever to read Pride and Pet Prejudice. 
I well, no, today's the day of Jane Austen being thrown in a dumpster fire because no, I don't do it. I love her. I hate her. She created an entire trope and an entire, you know what I mean? Like that. So I do respect that. But man, I'll tell you. Took some time. I I think I picked that book up and put it down, and then everybody's like, "Oh, you gotta read it, you gotta read it." And I'd be like, "Oh, okay, fine." So I pick it up, and I'd be like, "One chapter in, I'm out." <laughs> pick it back up, and so finally made it through. But I can't say, yeah, I'm not gonna start a dumpster fire with any book, but you know, <laughs> I would. I'd start a dumpster fire with all of her books. They are really too long and too verbose and I know people love them but this is my personal opinion here on drinking with authors and guess what Jane Austen is not capable of being a guest so I do not have to worry that I've offended her that's right always pick the people that you aren't going to pick it up and be like that one nice (laughs) yeah no trust me I actually trust E.L. James will never be on this podcast either when I've gotten in conversations about her because I have a whole different view. Okay, rapid fire questions. What is a pet peeve as a reader? Oh, I don't like, I, I hate it when people over explain to me. I hate that. I hate it. I don't want you to tell me, well, somebody did this because their motives are X, Y, and Z. Just have them do it. I'll figure out the motives. Readers are a whole lot smarter than people give us credit for. I mean, just the fact that you're picking up a book and reading it, just right there, just ups your IQ by at least 100 points. So basically, show don't show uh, show don't tell, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't need to be beaten over the head with this person's a nice person. Look, they climbed a tree and saved a cat. No, they just, they climbed a tree and saved a cat. They're a good person. That's dumb. <laughs> what hooks you in a book? Like what when somebody does this particular thing, you're hooked. You're good to go. Um. I think I do need to connect. I don't have to like feel, I don't have to connect thinking that that's me in the story. I have to like somebody like I have to, I have to want to root for them. If I just think they're just like a crappy person, then what is there to root for? You know? So yeah, I'm, I am looking for somebody that I, you know, even if they're broken, um, even if they're, you know, doing bad things, if there's some semblance of good, I do like to be the cheerleader for, you know, somebody finding their humanity. So, um, I do like that. And I'm not real sure. Like I have started asking myself, like as a, as a writer, what is it that as a reader will snag me into a book? And I'll go back to like Ann Tyler. I forget the name of the book, which is awful, but it starts off with the guy on the train and he's just watching this lady wearing a coat. And I'm like, this lady's genius because she somehow puts a guy on a train, no high stakes. He's just sitting on a train watching this woman and wondering who she is. And I'm like, but somehow I'm intrigued because now I want to know who that person is. So like, she's not telling you, oh, this woman is probably this, this, or this. She's just saying she's dressed like this. She's got the certain mannerisms. And so I got, now I want to know if that's right. 
No. You know, I think, I think, I call it like a breadcrumb, like a breadcrumb trail. I like to follow the breadcrumb trail. So drop me some breadcrumbs and then I want to see if I was right or on the same path that you were on. So, so don't make it too obvious. Have you ever been, um, like, what are your favorite books to like be wowed at the end? Like one of the things I hate predictable books, like it drives me crazy to have predictable books. I like books where there is a wall at the end of the book, like, and they do it very well. I think it's an entire like skill set to do a twist at the end. That's really nice. What, how do you feel about twists? Um, I like, I like twists. Um, I think it's sometimes hard to catch writers in a twist. Like we're not your average readers. So, okay. So like you even take girl on a train. I think that's the name of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm already picking up the things and I'm like, Oh, it's going to be this or this. My kids are like, would you shut up? Like you're ruining it. Really but like that, was. <laughs> yeah. But like that, that check off gun theory. You know, a good writer isn't going to leave a gun on the table unless it's going to be used so you spot it and you're like, oh, this and that's going to happen. So, yeah, if you can kind of, like, make me go, whoa, didn't see that coming. Um, and Bruges, have you ever seen that movie? No. I love that movie, I swear, it is the tightest written script ever. I mean, just from beginning to end, everything, and it's, the ending did wow me, but wow. I don't give it a if you want, if you, if you want to watch that movie. I mean, if you want to look at like how to put together like a tight plot, like everything, even like he's, he's in Bruges and they're hit men and uh, they're going, it's, I think it's Colin Fur is in the movie. And so they're going up into this, um, this watchtower and there's these Americans going in and they're like, you, you probably don't want to go up there because, you know, um, it's a really long to climb and they're kind of heavy set people. And that comes back. That comes back in the story where I think they, I can't remember if they said like some fat American had a heart attack in the tower. I can't remember how it went, but like it's subtle too. So it's not like, like somebody just says, Oh, the tower's closed. Some fat American had a heart attack in the tower. So, but you know what I mean? Like everything circles back. So super tight. And the ending is, it is an amazing ending and it does kind of make you go, wow. Very cool. Do you have a playlist when you, when you write, are you, do you have a music playlist or? I usually, I don't have music. Um, a lot of times I always leave the news on in the background and it just kind of turns into like a drool or something nonsensical like hoarders or, you know, some TV show. Orders is definitely nonsensical. Good. That's a whole thing. You can turn that on and look up every now and then and go, you're getting your stuff together. Good for you. (laughs) Back down. (laughs) Didn't miss anything. No, no major plots missing. (laughs) Did you, uh, how much do you write when you sit down in an hour? How much do you usually bang out? I can usually, once I sit down and write, and I think that, Lately, with the COVID thing and my kids being back home, um, the getting into the zone is the hard part. So if I sit down and I have an hour, it's going to take me 15 minutes of, you know, checking email and doing this and doing that and then start writing. 
before I can even get started. So once I'm like writing, I can easily do probably two to 500 words an hour easily. Not all of them good. A lot of them, you know, the next day I'll go back and be like, well, I did 800 words yesterday. Two of them are keepable. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, so it depends on which, which kind of words you're looking at. But I always, I always tell writer friends of mine, write the crap because crap is good fertilizer. You know, even if, if you can't come up with something, you just, you put whatever crap you can think of, like in your mind. I, my mom had one time told me this, and I think it was the best advice I ever had. She was like, stop trying to impress me with how well you write and just tell me the damn story. So every now and then when I'm, when I'm thinking, well, how do I say this? How do I make this sound good? I'll hear my mom like, just tell me the damn story. Stop trying to impress me. And so then I'll just write. And then later on, you can go back through and pick better words or, you know, maybe words that sound more literary or, you know, so, but it's getting, it's just getting that crap down on paper that you can weed through it later and, you know, find the pretty little flowers that are growing through the crap. And <laughs> Very cool. You said you had a writer's group. Uh, do you have a writer's group or a group of friends? Do you have a, a critique group? Yeah, I do. I, I say, um, oh, I have probably at least, well, there's two of us that do romance. There's, and two of them do like sci-fi, young adults. Um, so we have kind of like a mix, so like a genre mix of people in our group. And then we have one lady in our group that's just a reader. She's not at all interested in reading, but she loves to read and she'll do all of our early readings and proofing and things like that. So she's invaluable, probably the best member of the group we have. I was going to say, that's the golden queen of that particular group. Yes. But I always tell her, you have no idea what your value is, and we love you. (laughs) Have you um, gone and read in front of your fans? No. I've always declined to do that because, as you can tell by my introduction when you said, who are you? Like, I do okay talking, but, like, reading my own stuff, I'm like, no, I'd rather... I'd rather y'all just ask me to walk over some hot coals before I get there. <laughs> so, um, no, I've never done it. Now, I, I do I do read it out loud before publishing. I'll do it in the privacy of my own home because that's the best way to, especially with dialogue, to hear whether or not dialogue kind of comes across as you read out loud. No, so. totally. Do you think that you... Um, uh, what about panels? Have you ever done panels conversations? I've done, I've done a couple of panels. I've done a few. And that's, the, and that's where I learned to kind of be careful that I don't sound like I'm attacking romance because I've had some romance writers be like, romance has, you know what I mean? Like when I say I oftentimes diverge from the romance trope into like women's issues. And they'll be like, romance does that too. And I'm like, I'm not saying romance isn't awesome. I love romance. So I'm just saying that the industry likes to pigeonhole everything. And so anytime you do that, they're going to say you just left romance and went into women's fiction. To me, they're the same. I think. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, to to your point, you can um, find people that will agree or disagree with any point you have in the entire universe on the Internet. Like I've said that, like I could say, you know what? We are all actually from alien chrysalises that are formed and nobody knows that. And I could find 
articles and people that would 100% agree with me and back me up that this was the case. You know, so I think it's interesting, um, you know, as authors, I think we start with um, less thick skin than, not me in particular, because bullets, you know, Um, but I think that it's really easy as an author because you're an artist to have really, really thick skin. I mean, really, really yeah. thin skin. I can use words, wine. Um, and then you have to get your thick skin and realize you don't care. Oh, well, hello. It's a little kitty cat coming to join the conversation. Hello, oh, Callie. So yeah, you, you can go down here, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> not a little girl. That is a big cat. Oh, um, she's a kitten. She's a kitten. She's not even a year old yet. What? She looks, she looks much older. She's huge. It's terrifying. A friend of mine has a Maine Coon, and it's a t- I, it's literally six months old and the size of their dog. And I'm like, that thing's going to be a monster. <laughs> but she's got an eating disorder. She would come and drink the wine. She'll eat right. She gotta watch that one. So. Oh, I believe that. Drunk cats, that's probably not a good idea. But I think as an author, you have to get kind of a thick skin to the fact that you're not going to get everybody to agree with you. You're supposed to have your opinions. You're writing. You're doing well. You've published seven books. Like, I don't, you know, obviously not going out intentionally to offend people, but you saying that is not an offensive term. You instead ran into defensive romance writers because, there, there is a trope, and yes, they can kind of go outside the boundaries, but I'll tell you, if they're traditionally published, they are squarely seated in that trope, period. Yeah. You know, if Harlequin's pu- publishing them, they are a Harlequin romance book, and I can pick up any Harlequin romance book, and it's not that it's not well-written, and it's not that it's not entertaining, and blah, 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 but it is a Harlequin book, you know? It is what it is. And and the readers who read that want it to be what it is. They don't they don't want to it'd be like grabbing a Snickers bar and it's you know, and it's a Reese cup. You're like, Well why I bought a Snicker bar. You know, I mean I understand that. And I think you know, personally I think my you know things don't offend me very much, but I do worry about offending other people. I would never want to hurt someone's feelings or um make them think that I'm you know, denigrating what they're doing because I'm not. But I think, I also think, I do think that like a lot of romance writers, you know, they get crapped on so much. I think it's just kind of like, well, I'm a real writer too. And I'm always telling them, hey, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, that's where the money is a lot of times. You know, there's a reason why there's a whole network TV show filled with these stories. People love them. You know? I think it's just easier for romance novel like uh, like writers. They're just more defensive because it, it's true. A lot of people do make them seem like they're at the bottom, and they're not. There's writers out there, and they write great stories. And just because they're not writing literary fiction, they're writing genre fiction, doesn't discredit what they're doing or the value of what they're doing because. In my personal opinion, if you have some, if you have the power to make someone else read a book, you're doing your job and you have value any more than a literary fiction writer, you know? So um, I, I, agree. I agree. And I think one of the things too, is there's an, an, an approach, you know, are you a full-time writer? Are you doing this full-time? 
Well, no, I do. Um, I had been substituting. I'm actually in the middle of looking at different jobs and like returning to social work. Um, I've been working as a substitute teacher and, and uh, uh, mostly because I think I do, I think that social work person, you know what I mean? She needs to get out and be among people every now and then too. Whenever I was just only writing, I found that I wasn't writing as much. Like, and that sounds insane, but it's like once my kids were all, you know, there's the whole empty nest. And I thought, well, I'm going to have like eight hours a day and just devoted to writing. And I'm like, I just spent six hours watching quarters. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I think sometimes when you are kind of social, um, get out there and do that stuff. And then that keeps you like writing is that thing you want to do. So when you get back home, you're like, Ooh, I'm going to grab two hours and write. No, I agree. I think that, um, you know, different people do it for different reasons. You have to, when you're going to be a full-time writer, you have to switch into job mode. And that's what every full-time writer that I've talked to does. Like you have to treat it like your nine to five or whatever your schedule is, but you have to get up in the morning and this is what you're doing. So you allot your time for your social media and you allot your time for your marketing and you allot your time for your research, but at least eight hours, you need to be sitting in front of that desk doing or however it is you write comfortably writing that stuff that you want to write. And I think that it's, you know, we have the dream. It's kind of like during this time of COVID, a lot of us are at home. A lot of our social activities have gone to non-existence. I mean, obviously you have what I jokingly call coworkers that have moved back in with you and, you know, those create their own little problems. But um, you, you would have thought when we all talked about the, you know, to our author friends and, oh, I want to be home and I want to be able to have all this time and blah, blah, blah. And we have it. And I think it's stopped more people than helped. I, it, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I know when I was subbing, when I was working as a substitute teacher, it was kind of perfect because, you know, if I had, um, you know, a book I wanted to finish, I'd just take no work that week. And then, you know, if I wanted to work or it just, and it, it got me out of the house enough to where I was interacting with people. I wasn't like just sitting there staring at a wall thinking, well, now what should I do? Because, you know, Instead, I would be constantly thinking of, oh, I've only got two hours. I need to get, like, just having that, that um, you know, the, the having the time crunch is like, oh, I've got to get this, this, and this, this done. And, you know, whereas if I had eight hours, I'd be like, well, i got to get that done. But, you know, so, um, and then it, I told a friend of mine, I said, I probably sound horrible on interviews because I'll go on interviews and so I'll be like looking for like I'll be interviewing for like part-time positions and they'll go well this might turn into a full-time position I'm like oh, I'm out you know, they're probably like, What's wrong with this and I'm like I told her I said should I go into interviews and go I'm looking to dabble do you have a dabbler position to where I can come in maybe 20 30 hours a week and still be able to continue to write does that look bad in an interview? So, yeah, probably not the best way to interview for a job. So. You, you obviously need to be a barista at Starbucks. They will have a completely different view of that situation. Now, a friend of mine was like, are there any hotels in your town? Tell them you want to be the night clerk. I was like, oh, that would be perfect. But now we don't have very many. So. <laughs> no, but it makes sense because, you know. 
it, it, trying to find something that aligns with your writingness is a, is a totally, totally different thing. Um, what if, if somebody asked you, uh, before you got to the point you are, um, uh, what if, I guess the question is, what is the weirdest thing you think you've discovered as a writer that you would never have thought of before these seven books were published? What is the thing that you were like, wow, I had no idea. Mm, oh, that's a good question. That's a tough question. Um, I suppose I would have to say the thing that I've realized that I think that I've, I've found out about myself that I think differs from some of my writer friends is I really honestly kind of don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> um, I know a lot of them are like, if I don't have a contract within one year, I'm out. If I don't make X number of dollars within five years, I'm out. I'm like, hell, I'll be doing this till I'm dead. And be like, go on, I just made enough to buy chocolate. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so I think that's you know, why it's so important to have realistic goals. You know, you can you can't control like how much money you're gonna make, but you can control finishing a book. And you know, which you know. It's a struggle in itself to finish a book. Erica knows because she yells at me all the time to finish mine. And, you know. She has a deadline you now. Just, you just have to, oh, I know. She forced a deadline, deadline. on me. I always, I always tell my publisher, God bless her heart, she's so nice. But I'm always like, you really should be mean to me. Because deadlines help. <laughs> That's my job at the publication company. I, I am the mean one. I'm the one that goes, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to look out the next four or five, whatever, however many books. And I'm like, you have to have it done by this date. And then I'll check in with you and go, how are you doing? What are you doing? You have to have it done. And a lot of people just work a lot better under deadlines. You don't want to have them, but you work a lot better if you have a looming thing and you know you have three months or two weeks or whatever it is that's coming up that you have to have the book done by. Yeah. Well, and I think I've also found out that I am somewhat crazy. Um, I used to always joke. I used to always joke with my friends and be like, all the really good writers are kind of crazy. Like there's that portion of them that like is just, there's just something that isn't making their brains function like normal human beings. And, and the longer I've been on the journey, I'm like, holy crap. I'm realizing that sitting in a yard and staring at a cloud for like an hour isn't normal. And I always thought that that was normal. But it's not really normal, so I might actually be a little bit on that crazy genre. <laughs> 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 be there, so you know. And that, and um, like, I'll one of the things I do is like a, a whole self sabotage thing. Like, oh, I'll, I'll have a whole bunch of momentum going, and then just I'm just gonna take a three month break, guys. Nobody's gonna see me. <laughs> I think, why am I doing this? This is abnormal. So yeah, I've had to. I've had to kind of face that within myself, that whole, that's not normal. That's not a normal way to approach life. It's, it's to check out of reality for like a month or two at a time. It's true. Actually, I just interviewed a author who does um, nonfiction books, and she's putting out a book in, comes out in January called, called, called Couch Potato. And it mm -hmm. talked about this exact point and sort of her journey on how you, how one gets into these ruts and then how to get oneself out of these ruts. 
Because I think we all experience them to a degree. Like you, I can get on Netflix and I can binge stuff with the best of them. You know, and you can sit for days just watching the shows roll by. Yeah. Even if you work, you go home, you work, you go home, maybe eat dinner, and then you sit in front of the TV or play a video game or whatever else besides actually writing. So, I no, I agree with you 100%. I, it, it, that is a part of being a writer, but I think it's a part of being an artist. You have to have that creative side of you that is an epic artist to do any kind of art. Yeah, that was kind of funny because it was my son that pointed it out because I and I probably never would have noticed it because I find ways to get myself busy. Like it's not it wouldn't even look like he he said one day he was like, so you really need to redo that whole basement? Like, is that really something you need to do? Or are you avoiding doing a book? Oh, why do they give birth to people who can psychoanalyze and go away? Like, but if you said other people. Oh, I put that off. I'm doing a basement project. They'd be like, oh, well, yeah, that's nobody's like going, wait a minute. You've been sitting on a couch, not bathing for like a month. You probably should get back to work. You know, the thing is like, is that really something that needs to be done? Or are you distracting yourself? Watch. I think that's why it's so important to voice your goals out loud because the, the people that care about you are going to be like, um, so you said a week ago that you were going to do X, Y, Z. Where are you at on this? And so even if you feel like you can't get it done, just speak it out loud and someone will be there to be like, you need to do it. Have faith in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, like logically, I wasn't saying to myself, Let's put this off because you've got high hopes for this. What if it doesn't? What if it isn't that that one thing? Or what if it doesn't turn? Like logically in my head, I'm not saying that to myself. I'm thinking I really need to finish that last chapter. But, you know, when I put that laundry in today, that basement, if I just went through and clean, I bet I could do that like in an hour. You know, one week later, you're still, you know. So, yeah, that's the lie you kind of tell yourself. And that, that's the thing I didn't notice that I did until, you know, you're in the midst of doing it. Brilliance, 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 my friend. You have been an epically fun guest to have on. By the way, you are wonderful, and you would be wonderful in front of your fans. I'm just going to say that. Once you get past saying the name out loud, maybe just get a card that says it on there so you can hold it up and then you can get to the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you are incredibly entertaining, and your life stories are so interesting. So you should get out there and read to your fans. I I bet a million dollars they would love to meet you and interact. I I will do things like that. I always tell people I'll come out for anything, including chocolate. Um, You know, the reading, though, I have asked people. I did go to a book club one time, and this is another thing that's weird as a writer. Do you guys remember your books? No, oh, I know the readers do, though. Oh, God. So, yeah, sitting at this book club and they're talking about one that I'd written, you know, maybe two years ago. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. And I don't remember that. And the one lady goes, did you even write this? And I'm like, well, they're all lies. And you know what people say about lies? You don't remember the lies. No, I don't remember. Well, you know what? It's because you've written that book so many times. I was just telling this to someone the other day is that even though like 
you know, I know what it says in front of me. I know every other version or iteration of that, that paragraph was. And sometimes you forget what, where, what, where am I at? Like, which version are we on? Because I still remember all the bad ones prior to that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did make that comment one time. I did say I don't remember where I landed on that. Tell me again. What What was the What was, What was the outcome of that? Because I had like three different scenarios in my head. Which one did I go with? <laughs> and that's when the lady started laughing and she said did you even write this book it's like yeah note to self skim the book before you go to a book club because those book clubs yeah no they know your book they will call you out on crap they're like do you remember and i'm like oh my god no i don't I, that's like 20 stories ago i have no idea what you're talking about but anyway it has been brilliant to have you on please tell everybody how to find you Okay, I, you can find me on the internet. Um, if you even just put Elizabeth Seckman into the, your search engine, it should come up. But I do have a website. It's www.elizabethsegman.com. Wonderful. And all your books are on all the major things. And there's a few of them on KDP, correct? Yes, I have. Um, there, there's quite a few. I think there's at least two or three KDP. I know the ones that I've self-published are on the swept away was self-published and it's KDP only. So it's the only one that's only on Amazon. I think all the rest, well, any of them on KDP are only on Amazon, right? So yeah. Yeah. Few of those. And then I have about us is the one that I just released and it is free. Um, cause I figured, you know, and it, it, it hit kind of, I won't say it hit perfectly cause COVID stinks, but you know, I had already planned on doing it for free. So, but then, you know, when it, it kind of came out right before the COVID thing. So I thought even if it wasn't going to come out for free, I would have put it out for free. So um, just to kind of give back to everybody who's, yeah, these are tough times. Everybody could use all the, the freebies they can get. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You've been wonderful. It has been absolutely awesome having you on the podcast. We will stay connected. I'll send you an email after this. So we can absolutely stay connected. So thank you very much for being on and you did perfect for your first podcast. So good job. I, I, think, the, I think the wine helped. I'm going to do wine in everything. I'm going to be like, wine always helps. <laughs> what are yeah, you talking about? Yeah, that, that is hashtag true stories. So with that, this has been Drinking with Authors. I'm Erica Lance. And I'm Vanessa Valiente. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.